Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this morning to the book of Jonah. And if you're using the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 775. Jonah chapter 3, and beginning our reading at verse 1, on page 775 in the Church Bibles. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let, every, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from uh, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. We have been looking at this uh, account of one of God's prophets, Jonah, over the last couple of weeks. And we have been highlighting how Jonah is one of those characters in the Bible that uh, is well known to many people, both inside and outside the church. Uh, A person may not have read the Old Testament scriptures, and yet they know something about the account of a man who was swallowed by a great fish and then uh, was vomited out three days later. But as we've been looking at the book of Jonah, we've been highlighting that the book of Jonah is really, although it teaches us about this miraculous event uh, that happened in this prophet's life, uh, the book of Jonah is more than just about a miracle that took place uh, in his own experience. It's really coming to grips with who God is, that the sovereign Lord has a purpose that will prevail. And as we are turning back to uh, the, the book of Jonah, we are looking at what happens after he was delivered uh, from that great fish. You remember the Lord had given Jonah uh, a mission. He was to go to Nineveh and to call out to that city. He was to call out against the evil of that city. That wouldn't have been a very attractive mission to take, uh, to be a lone voice 
going into a foreign nation and then calling out the evils of that kingdom. Uh, what kind of reception could you expect uh, for doing such a thing? And Jonah uh, was not on board with it. He initially ran away uh, from that mission. Only for when he went on a boat uh, for a storm to rise up and he was thrown into the sea. But the Lord had a purpose uh, and that purpose was going to prevail. He appointed that great fish to swallow Jonah and then eventually Jonah turned to the Lord asking for deliverance. Well, this morning we want to look at what happens after Jonah was delivered from the fish. And we want to look at chapter 3 in two thoughts. We want to think about Jonah's restoration to work. And then secondly, we want to think about the repentance of the people of Nineveh. First, then, in verse, or chapter 3, at verse 1, uh, we see Jonah being restored uh, to his calling. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Chapter 3 begins almost verbatim with how the book of Jonah uh, began. It's like hitting reset. Uh, Although Jonah has rebelled against the Lord, God's purposes haven't deviated. God still has a purpose that is going to be accomplished. And now some time has passed since he has been uh, vomited out by the great fish but he's receiving the same instruction from God. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. We see then something of God's mercy in the life of Jonah. Jonah was uh, one of the only prophets who would act this way uh, of rebelling against God in such a drastic measure of running from his calling, of wanting to get away from his work as a prophet. And yet the Lord graciously restored him, uh, showing him that even in spite of his failures, the Lord wasn't done with Jonah. Uh, The Lord was working through Jonah and in Jonah. That doesn't mean that every time there is a a moral failure in uh, a servant of God, that they should be immediately restored uh, to their calling. Uh, There may be times when it's unwise for those who have morally compromised, for those who have failed uh, in their calling, to be put back in that position. But we see that in Jonah's case, the Lord's purpose of showing mercy to him was exemplified in putting him back in that calling. But as he goes, he's going to Nineveh, and it tells us that he is to go to Nineveh, that great city. That great city is an expression that refers sometimes to the numerical size, but it doesn't have to refer simply to the size of a city. Later on, we'll realize in chapter 4 that Nineveh was a great city in terms of 120,000 people. But that phrase is used elsewhere in the Bible to refer not to the numerical size of how many people were there. It's also used with reference to cities that were actually quite small. They were called great cities because of their significance, because of their importance. And here, Nineveh is being described as a great city, not necessarily because there's so many of them, although that's part of it, but because of their significance. They have an importance to God. And so Jonah is to go to Nineveh because Nineveh is important to God. 
The other thing that is said about Nineveh is, is that they are uh, a three days journey in breadth. Um, it's improbable that that's talking about uh, the length of time that it would take to go around the city. Uh, ancient cities weren't typically that big. Uh, more likely, we could understand these words to be referring to uh, either the wider region, much like we do when we talk about Toronto, Someone might talk about Toronto, the city, but then we also talk about the greater Toronto area uh, to include the surrounding area around Toronto when we're referring to Toronto. That could be what is being referred to here when it says it's a three days journey in breadth. Or we could understand it as a three days journey in terms of completion of that mission of preaching at various posts. In other words, to go through the city and to preach that word to the people, or to fulfill the diplomatic process of coming before the authorities, of granting approval to speak, and then to carrying out that, that mission. But however we understand it, it's stressing to us the importance of this great city. And it tells us there in verse 4 that as he went out, Jonah began uh, preaching, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, there is a sense of in, uh, imminency uh, to his message. Uh, Jonah was uh, preaching about the judgment of God. We might wonder, was that the only thing Jonah even said? Did he just go around repeating that one phrase again and again? Uh, it's more unlikely that, than likely that that's what he was doing. Um, because when you look at even how the king responds later on, the king makes a clear connection between the announcement of judgment and the connection with their moral culpability. The king recognizes that this is coming to them on account of their sins. And most likely, Jonah is the one who is making that connection for them. He is impressing upon them their own failings before God's law, that they are accountable to God, and this judgment is coming to them on account of their sin. This message then is probably best understood as a summary of what Jonah was doing. That as he went to them, his message centered and focused on the fact God is going to judge this city. And it's coming quickly. It wasn't something that Jonah was simply saying at some point in the future there will be a judgment. But rather Jonah was saying you will know the judgment of God when it comes imminently within 40 days. In other words, this was something that they couldn't put off. There are lots of things that we can put off. Uh, we may know there are things that we need to, uh, to do around the house. Uh, there may be the leaking faucet. There may be the, uh, the crack in the window, uh, the, the seal in the, the window. There are things that we know we need to do, uh, but we can put them off uh, for another time. And when we put them off, they may never get done. Uh, I remember seeing a, a, a comical meme on social media, and it said, uh, it was written and it said, Wives, if your husband said he was going to fix it, you don't have to remind him every six months. Uh, highlighting that it's easy for us to say, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then just keep pushing it off. But here when Jonah is going around to the people of Nineveh, he's stressing to them, this is not something that you can put off. 
This is not something that you can delay on. That God's judgment is not only real, but that it is something that you're being confronted with right now. And that's true of every one of us. That God's word comes to every one of us. But it's not something that we should just push it off and for another time. When I get older, then I'll think about God. Uh, when I get closer to death, then I'll get serious about sin. Uh, rather, we should realize that God's word comes to us. And there is a sense of imminency to it. Because none of us know how long we will live. None of us know how close we are to death. And so we have to live in light of what God has said because it confronts us with eternal matters. Here is a Jonah going throughout the city and he is teaching them about God's judgment. He's teaching them about the imminency of God's judgment. And he is stressing to them the need to live in response to God's word. So uh, it is not something that uh, we should uh, delay on either. Uh, we, uh, we can act as though we're immortal and we don't have to address the problem of guilt. Uh, but none of us knows how long we will live. And rather we are to respond uh, knowing the problem of sin. But we might ask another question. Not only might we ask, is this the only thing that Jonah said? when he went to Nineveh, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. But we might wonder to ourselves, if we reflected on it, did Jonah say anything about his own experience? Did Jonah tell them about being swallowed by the great fish? Uh, did he share with them something of the process that it took for him to come to this city, Assyria, this, this nation, that had been crumbling uh, and defeating the people of Israel, uh, the enemies of the people of Israel. Did Jonah explain to them what it took for him to make this journey and to come and to deliver this message? You will notice that there's nothing in the text that proves Jonah shared anything about his experience here. And yet, when you turn to the New Testament, it is clear that Jonah serves as a sign to the people of Nineveh. Jesus makes that point very clear. He says that just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. And so when we look at scripture in light of the coming of Christ, Jesus is saying, you see, there's, there's a parallel here between Jonah and myself. That Jonah was a sign to Nineveh, and I'm a sign to this generation. And we could look at that and think, well, in a sense, Jonah was a messenger of God who came with God's word to the people of Nineveh. And in the same way, Jesus is a messenger of God who came to uh, the people of his generation with a word from God. And that's true. But we could also push beyond that. Because in another passage in the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear that what constitutes the sign of Jonah is he said that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so would be true of the Son of Man, that Jesus' own experience would parallel Jonah. And so when we ask the question, in what way was Jonah assigned to Nineveh? We are left either concluding that there must, it must mean two signs of Jonah, 
when the New Testament talks about Jesus or is Jonah as a sign of Jesus, either in terms of his role as a prophet bringing God's word and then secondly in his experience. Or we come to the conclusion that when Jonah preached to Nineveh, he was assigned to Nineveh in terms of what he was going through. That just as he had passed through three days in Sheol, to then come to life to speak to them. So the Son of Man would have three days in Sheol and then come showing the power of God to his generation. And so his ministry here, Jonah is restored to his calling as God shows mercy to Jonah. But it's through that restoration, being delivered from death, that Jonah becomes a sign to the people of Nineveh. He comes telling them about God's judgment and they are to live in light of God's word. So we see the restoration of Jonah's calling, but we also hear about the people's repentance. And in verses five and following, we see how they respond. Uh, Perhaps surprisingly to us, it says the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Such a collective response uh, would have been just as rare in the ancient world as it might be in our own time to see such a widespread reaction by the people from the greatest of them to the least of them there was this united response to what Jonah was saying this foreigner from another nation this person who came from the nation that the Assyrians were just fighting in war now comes to them telling them that their evil is going to be judged And they're cut to the heart by it. Now we might notice that it says God. And it might be significant that it says they believed God. As opposed to saying they believed the Lord. But we should come away recognizing that their response is real. That it is in accordance with the light of knowledge that was given to them. They took Jonah's message at face value. And they believed there was integrity to it. And so they acted in accordance to it. It's interesting, um, there's not a lot of surviving records of Assyrian history from this time period. But the records that do survive, if we look back to uh, the time between 780 and 755 BC, the records that do survive are very revealing. Because there is a period of time where there is, there is turmoil and uh, Um, unsettledness both politically and uh, in terms of natural phenomena that the people were unsettled Uh, in every year from 765 to 759 BC there is a note of an outbreak of a plague or of a political revolt in a city and perhaps this is the most significant for the superstitious Assyrian an eclipse of the sun. On top of that, at this time of history, there was a known leader known by Assur Dan III, who was known as one who lived and ruled with limited power, that he didn't have a solidarity of commitment from his subjects. And so you have this turmoil, this instability in Assyria at this time period. 
But whether it's political revolt, whether it's plagues, whether it's eclipses of the sun, whether it's the division between the peoples, you're seeing a nation that was actually being prepared for this message to come to them. That they were already sensitive to the fact that things aren't right. So that when Jonah does appear and brings this message, they're ready to hear it. This is the reason why these things are happening. And so it tells us that they believed uh, what uh, Nineveh said. Uh, And even when it reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with uh, sackcloth and sat in ashes. He decrees uh, a very extreme form of fasting. Uh, There was to be no eating or drinking, both for uh, humans and their animals. Uh, So it was meant to show the intensity uh, of their reception of the message that they heard. Uh, But the king also recognized that the outward sign of this repentance was empty unless it was accompanied by an inward change of light. Uh, life. Notice in verse 8, he says, uh, Let them call out mightily to God, and let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Again, the Assyrian people, one of the dominant characteristics of the Assyrian nation was is their ability uh, to live with violence. That they were a nation that emerged and grew by striking fear into others, by the way that they would crush others without mercy. And now here's the king of Nineveh saying, let us turn from our evil and from the violence in our hands. That's not something that he could actually enforce by law. That they would call out mightily to God or even that they would turn from their evil, uh, evil that they were committing. And it's not something he could enforce because ultimately for God to approve of their repentance... God must see that it's genuine. And God knows whether the repentance is simply an outward sign or an inward reality. And so while he is directing the people as to what they should do, ultimately there must be that response of the people collectively to say this is right, that we need to humble ourselves and to seek the Lord's mercy. You notice in verse 9 that the king uh, tries to impress this directive by saying, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. What motive does he have to try to incentivize the people, to to encourage them to, to change their ways? His answer is simply by saying, who knows? Perhaps God will have mercy on us. But why would he think that? Why would the king of Nineveh think that God would have mercy on this nation who has just been fighting with the people of Israel? One reason, perhaps, is because of the message itself. What did Jonah do? He came announcing God's judgment. But the warning itself was giving them an opportunity that if if God was announcing his judgment and warning of his judgment, that's simply highlights that there must be a a possibility that God might change that verdict. Why would he warn them ahead of time unless God was also open to changing that verdict? Why mention that they have 40 days at all unless this is a window of time in which they might turn to the Lord 
and be delivered from that judgment. And so even though the message was hard for them to hear, it, it at least opens the door to saying, maybe God will relent if we respond rightly now to the situation that we are in. And so the message itself at least seems to give the suggestion that God might reconsider the verdict. But the other reason why they might have said, who knows, the Lord might relent, is because of Jonah himself. If Jonah shared his own experience with the Ninevites, then Jonah is saying, the God whom I serve, the God who is judge of the heavens and the earth, the God who has directed me to announce this judgment, ultimately delivered me from the fish. Then the people are understanding that this God is not only a God set on destruction and judgment, but this God is a God who is merciful and saving. And so the reason why the king of Nineveh can say, who knows, the Lord might relent, is because the message itself didn't simply say judgment, but there was a window of time before that judgment. And because the servant who came had been delivered from God's judgment as well. Their repentance then had a small ground of hope in it. They were responding to the light that had been given to them. That's something that Jesus himself says, isn't it? Jesus himself would highlight that the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. All the people of Nineveh were given was a small statement of the reality of God's judgment and the possibility of deliverance. And they turned that they sought and accepted God's message, and they repented. But how much greater reason then do we have when we think about the totality of God's revelation, when we recognize not only the, the reality of our own sin, but we know that there is mercy with God because of who Jesus is. Because while the people responded to Jonah because here is a man who is sent by God. Here is a prophet of the Lord declaring the Lord's message. In the fullness of time, the Son of God himself comes, revealing the glory of God. But Jesus came into this world to reveal grace and truth. That he comes to show us the mercy of God in himself. The people of Nineveh could hear about Jonah who had this experience going through uh, death, really in the waters of the deep and through the great fish. But when Jesus came into this world, Jesus came to lay down his life as a sacrifice for sins. But then God delivered him from death's domain. That, that the message of Christianity is, is that God has conquered sin in Christ. And so we can look to Christ because Christ has risen from the dead. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered and defeated sin. The good news of the gospel is, is that we don't simply have to respond on the verge of who knows. Perhaps the God who is is a God of mercy. Perhaps God would 
even change his verdict against sinners. The good news is is that Jesus came into this world to die for sinners, and he has been raised for their justification. So as Paul says in Romans, he says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who is indeed interceding for us. And so we see a great grounds for responding because we know there is mercy with God. He delivered his servant. And so we can respond to what God has done in Christ. If God delivered his son from death's domain, if he delivered his son who came into this world to bear the sins of many, then he will show mercy to all who call on him in faith. And so we see the people's reason for repentance. The basis is grounded in what they know of God and what they know of the experience of his servant. This chapter ends in verse 10 by saying that God himself uh, relented. When God saw, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. Now the scriptures teach us that God does not change. Uh, God is not a man that he should lie or that he should change his mind. Uh, God does not change as though there were things he didn't know before or that things are outside of his control. The only change is is in the relation of men to God. But from our vantage point, it can seem like God changed his mind uh, because he said he was going to destroy Nineveh and didn't. But that's really teaching us that God uses even the warnings of Scripture to accomplish his purposes, that the warning was ultimately effective in bringing about the Lord's purpose. But there's something else to see there in verse 10. Because it says God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to the people of Nineveh, and he did not do it. For someone who is a careful reader, for someone who lived uh, as part of the people of God in the Old Covenant, those words might have echoed in their mind because they appear elsewhere in the Old Testament. Back in the book of Exodus, it tells us that God entered into a covenant with the people of Israel, that he entered into this covenant of how he would be their God and they would be his people, that they were to live in obedience to the Lord, submitting to his commandments. But no sooner had God entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel than we're told that the people of Israel formed the golden calf. And as a result, they broke covenant. And if you read through that section in Exodus 32, you read about how God purposed to destroy the people of Israel. And it was only the intercession of Moses that prevented that from coming to pass. But it tells us on the basis of Moses' intercession, the Lord relented of the disaster that he said he was going to do, and he did not do it. What Israel, what the people of God were to learn from this is is that not only does God show mercy to Nineveh, but the people of Israel likewise received mercy from God. Just as they received mercy from the Lord when he did not destroy them, so now God is showing mercy towards the people of Nineveh. And so the people of God cannot look down on those who are outside the covenant as somehow being beneath them 
and unworthy of God's mercy. Instead, they're to see that they too depend on God's mercy. And they are to delight in the things that God delights in. And God delights in showing his mercy to those who are walking in darkness. And so this this account of Jonah's mission is more than about Jonah. It's more than about a fish. It's about the mercy of God. It's about how God is pressing his mercy on those who are living in sin. It's about how God is uh, expanding uh, his grace to the nations. And so the people are to reflect on the character of God themselves. God calls all people to repentance and he desires all people to be saved. And so if we are part of the believing community of God, if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus, then it should be our delight when God shows mercy to those who have been living in evil ways, to those who have been living with violence, to those who have been living in opposition to God. When Jonah preached to the city of Nineveh, there was a collective response of repentance. They recognized the evil of their ways and they hoped for mercy from the Lord. How much greater incentive do we see to look to God for mercy, knowing not only the reality of our guilt, but of knowing the reality of Jesus' experience. Jesus came into this world to reveal grace and truth. And he, through his own experience, was delivered from death's domain. He was delivered in order to show that there is mercy with God and that those who look to him will not perish. We don't have to live with the question, who knows? God may relent. We can live confident of God's mercy when we trust in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the events of Jonah's life and how Jonah was called into uh, a ministry to the nations, we pray, Lord, that we would see ultimately the character of our God, a God whose mercy extends, a God whose purpose uh, goes out uh, to the nations of this world. And we pray, Lord, that we would ultimately see what great basis we have to call upon you uh, to be delivered from our sin and from our guilt. Lord, we ask that you would go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen.